Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ask Shane Anything. This show is a reward for those of you who pledge at $7 or more per month. So if you pledge at that tier, you get to ask questions, but everyone gets to watch the archive. You guys have given me another round of excellent questions. Let's get straight to them. Our first question comes from Sifted from Scorpio's Finest. Hey Shane, recently a mass shooting was broadcast on Twitch before being removed minutes later. Do you think streaming live content is a privilege that could one day be taken away? Whew, this is a, this is an intense question to kick off the episode with. Um, yes, I'm very familiar with the fact that a recent mass shooting was live streamed on Twitch. I'm also well aware that this is not the first time that this has happened. Uh, and I think the platform is irrelevant. It doesn't really matter whether it's Twitch or Facebook or YouTube that they're doing the live streaming. It's going to happen. There's really no way to filter or catch people that would want to live stream something like this before it's too late. Now, to be fair, I will say this. Twitch, in this case that you're speaking about, and I don't really want to get too specific about it because I do not want to glorify or even bring up the name of the shooter or even jog people's memories about the shooting because I feel like a lot of the people who do this are just looking for attention, so I try not to give them attention uh, whenever possible. So I don't want to get too specific about what you're talking about. However, in the case that you're talking about, Twitch was actually really good about getting the live stream down very quickly. Unfortunately, as we all know with the internet, once it's out there, it's out there forever. And someone's going to snag it, someone's going to get the archive, and someone's going to upload it somewhere. And once it's out there, it's out there, and there's no getting it back. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle. Uh, to answer your question, is it a privilege? Yes. I mean, it's not a right to live stream. It's not a right to be able to use the internet or be able to view the internet. Um, they are privileges that, you know, with our modern society, we're fortunate enough to have these privileges today. So um, that part of it, yeah, it's a privilege. Could it be taken away, though? It could, but will it? No, it won't. There, There's really no way for anyone to hold YouTube or Twitch or Facebook responsible for what people do with their platforms. Now, once someone notifies you of something on your platform that could be illegal or disturbing, then you do have a responsibility to remove it as quickly as possible. Now, there are no parameters in the law that says you have to do it within two minutes, you have to do it within five minutes, you have to do it within 10 minutes. You're just supposed to basically do your due diligence to get that content removed as quickly as possible. And as long as you're not egregious about it, you don't wait three or four days or something like that, generally you're absolved under the law of any responsibility or wrongdoing. And I think most people agree that that's the way it should be. You can't see into the future and know what someone is going to do with your platform and then, this isn't Minority Report, is what I'm getting at. You can't preemptively stop the crime on streaming services. You just can't. Some people may argue, but you've provided the, the tools, the means to do that, and some may even correlate that to gun laws and pull out the, it's not the gun that kills people, it's the people. So no, I do not think that they will ever 
the government I'm talking about will ever come after Twitch or YouTube or Facebook and say, you need to take down the ability for anyone to just live stream something. I mean, let's just be honest. Any technological advancement can be used for good and it can be used for bad. And the hope is that at the end of it all, that new technology has been used for more good than bad. And I don't think anyone can deny that live streaming in general is used overwhelmingly more for the good than the bad. And you know, watching someone play a video game is arguable whether that's really good or not. Uh, but entertainment, it's a part of our lives. It's something that people need, I feel, that people need to feel secure and safe and enjoy their lives. So. I do not suspect that anything is going to happen to any of the streaming services, even if this escalates and gets even worse, which I don't know how that's even possible at this point because there are so many mass shootings pretty much every day in the United States anymore. In fact, we don't even hear about 85 to 90% of the mass shootings that happen in America anymore. So it's unfortunate that there are some people that are using new technologies for evil, um, but it's been that way since the beginning of time. Think back to the invention of the wheel. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you can go back that far. Someone invented the wheel, and a lot of people use that wheel to move grain or other goods from one territory to another. Some people use that wheel to create weapons of war that they use to then wage war on other territories nearby. So this is not something that is new. Um, unfortunately, it's just the way... Um, that a lot of people act when they're presented with new concepts, new ideas, new technologies. It is sadly the nature of man for a certain segment of our society. And I don't see anything changing. I don't see the streaming services changing how they do things. Maybe someday with AI, there will be some way for them to figure out that something is happening kind of before it happens. Like maybe AI can recognize, hey, that one... This is real-world footage that we're seeing. Two, this is someone driving a car in real-world footage. And then maybe that sends some kind of a ping to someone at Twitch or YouTube for them to be like, hey, you need to watch this live while it's happening to make sure this isn't something terrible. There may be a day where something like that is implemented again, where a new technology, a breaking technology, helps us live better lives. Um, but until then, I just think it's going to be status quo. Our next question comes from Sifted from The Sandman. Hi Shane, what are your thoughts on the new handheld console Playdate? Do you think this is an expensive fad, or do you think it has the potential to create its own niche with its games bundled into DLC drops? Will it be a home for inventive indie games? I really like the hardware design and the games look interesting. I just feel its price point is too high. Sandman, I'm glad that you've brought up the play date because I'll be honest with you, we have not covered this handheld enough across Sifted, whether it's Game Face, Pactor Factor, Ask Shane Anything, or anything else that we do. We probably should have talked about the play date more than we have. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the play date is a little yellow handheld that has a crank on the side of the handheld, and you literally control games using the crank. Now, it does have traditional controls as well that you would expect on any handheld. But the unique functionality of this handheld is the crank. And it's pretty crazy that developers have taken the time to create games that actually work with that crank. Now, you could argue that maybe that limits the creativity 
of developers. Some would argue it expands the creativity of developers by giving them a new input device. But the truth is, I do not believe that Playdate mandates that developers have to use the crank when developing their games. I think they have the option to use just normal controls like any other platform out there. So I don't think that it's an idea that is a total detriment to the success of Playdate. Now I do agree, Playdate is too expensive. I believe it is. In a market where you can get a Switch for basically the same price and have a much bigger software library. Now, you did hint to one thing about Playdate that is unique, and that's that its games come out in kind of batches or DLC drops or DLC waves. I like that concept. It's almost kind of like a book of the month club for video games. It's different, and I feel like Anytime you introduce a new technology or a new idea to the market, it has to have a USP, a unique selling proposition. And let's be honest, a Playdate does, both in its controls and how it releases its software. So I like the concepts behind the Playdate. Um, I think if it has any chance of being successful, it needed to kind of have these unique and different ideas that we're not seeing on other platforms. So I think that was the smart idea. Now, will I buy one? I will not. <laughs> I will not. I feel like it's too expensive for the concept. Um, now, I get it. It's not cheap to manufacture something, especially if you're doing small runs of something. Now, if you're producing a console and you're expecting you're going to sell millions of them, it's a lot cheaper to make that console when you're placing gigantic orders, and that can lower the price of production, and therefore you can pass on those savings onto the consumer. That is the problem with Playdate. It can't be cheap to produce, and therefore they have to pass that cost on to us. Let's be honest. Um, most of the games I've seen for Playdate so far, there hasn't been a killer app, and that's really what it always comes down to. There has to be that game that everyone sees and decides, I need to play that game. And that generally is how hardware takes off. Now, some people may say the crank is the unique selling proposition, I disagree. <laughs> I don't think you can just add some goofy, weird new control scheme to something and just say that's enough to get people interested. It is a boutique platform. It is something that a very small segment of people are going to appreciate and enjoy. If you spend any amount of time on YouTube looking at gaming content, then you will come across so many of these wacky handhelds from China. Um, most of them try to imitate or at least look like the Switch or the Vita or some other handheld that we all know in a way of kind of trying to trick people into buying it. But there are just so many of these things. The market, in my opinion, has really become saturated. And a lot of them really just end up becoming emulation machines where you can load MAME onto them and you can basically just pirate games and play games as long as you want. A lot of people are doing that with the Switch right now. There's a huge demand for the first wave of Switch models because they're able to be modded and you're able to install Homebrew on them. So if you have a launch edition of Switch, go check out eBay right now. The prices for those are almost the same as if you bought a new Switch because people want those early models so that they can pirate. And in all honesty, that is what a lot of these sort of underground handhelds are being made for, is so that you can basically just play all these old games for free on the go. And I do not know yet whether the play date has been jailbroken and people are able to load homebrew on it and therefore pirate with it. 
But I will say this, and I hate to admit it, if it does get to a point where you can do these things that most people buy these handhelds for, namely pirate games and play illegal software, I think the play date has a better chance of success. I hate to admit it. But that's why people buy these things. They don't buy them to play whatever software is available for them. They buy them to basically load MAME or any other emulator onto it and then play games illegally. So hate to admit that Playdate becoming something that someone can use for illegal means and purposes will make it a success, but that's just the truth. Next up, we have a question from Sifted from Van Halen, 619. Do you see California or the United States switching over to a four-day work week? Why or why not? And if you do think it's a possibility, when do you think the change will be made? Oh, this is a good one. Um, hmm. I'll say this. Let's separate California and the United States because, let's be honest, California generally does everything first. Now, one exception to that is sports gambling. I have tons of friends who live in Pennsylvania because I'm from there, and uh, they have legalized sports gambling there. You can download an app and you can bet on any sport you want. You can bet on prop bets, trifectas, everything. Parlays, just as if you had a bookie. You can do it legally on an, on an app now in Pennsylvania. Typically, stuff like that launches here first. However, California, I believe, is looking out for the betterment of its citizens. That's another thing that California does with every decision it makes, is, is this good for the people of California? And I would argue... That legalized sports gambling probably isn't good for most people. I've seen some of my friends go down the rabbit hole with that stuff. I've heard rumors of some of them owing a lot of money and being in financial danger because of their gambling habits. I know on Saturdays, I'll go over to my friends' houses in Pennsylvania, and they'll be sitting there betting on games like Holy Cross versus Toledo. And I'm just like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, I only have 200 on this game. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I am not, despite the fact that I really like sports, and sports gambling can be kind of fun. I do it very infrequently when I go to Vegas. I'll bet like 20 bucks on the Steelers to win the Super Bowl or something. And then if I win, I'll get like 300 bucks. That's the type of sports betting I do. I'm not an addict. Um, so I'm not really, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge proponent for sports gambling because I've seen what it's done to my friends and I'm not that interested in it. So I do think California is kind of doing the right thing by limiting sports gambling coming into the state. So anyway, back to my original point, which is California generally does things first. And I do believe that the four day work week, if or when it happens, will happen in California first. Now, I'll also say this. Californians work hard. Like, you have to work hard. It is so competitive here. Now, I know I just said on Game Face this week that I've worked places where people came to work and did nothing all day and then left and collected bigger paychecks than I was making for working 70 and 80 hour weeks. That is totally true. That's true across the board in the United States. That's not just a California problem. I know you guys have experienced this at your jobs where there's just this person that drives like a really expensive car, comes into work every day, you never see them, and you just wonder how they make all that money. Well, generally in California, that isn't true. In most positions, it's very, very competitive. People want your jobs. So my experience, for the most part, is that Californians work really hard while they're at work. And it's a culture that's built up here. And going to a four-day work week, even though this is the place where new ideas tend to get put into practice a lot more quickly than other places, I still don't see it happening for a while. The, I think there's still too many old people in charge even here 
for that to happen. There are too many, and I hate this about our society in general, there's there are too many people worry about how they had it and want subsequent generations of people to have it just as difficult or just as tough as they had it. And for whatever reason, the older generation has really dug in his heels about sticking to a five-day work week, about forcing people to come back into the office after the COVID pandemic, all that kind of stuff. This is all being driven by, and I hate to say it, the boomers, um, my people who are as old as my parents, uh, people in their 70s, 60s, and 70s, who just have always worked one way and aren't willing to accept that there's a different way to do it. So I do think... It will happen eventually. I do think it'll happen in California first, but I do think it's going to take another 10, 15 years maybe before it's really widespread. It's really, I hate to say it, it's going to take this older generation of people to die before things are really going to change. Now, United States wide, man, I'm guessing in 20 years, maybe it'll be a national thing where a lot of companies are like, you know what? Four days is enough. Now I realize for a lot of you people, um, in Europe or wherever, you guys work a lot less hours in general. You get much bigger vacations. You guys get like in most ca- or not maybe not most cases, but in a lot of cases, you guys get like three months off. Do you realize to get a month off a year, you have to be like VP level in the United States. Most people begin at a job with 10 days of paid vacation. That's it. Now, they may get a couple sick days, they may get like two personal days, but most people get 10 days of vacation for out of 365 days in a year. 10 days of paid vacation. A lot of people in America have no paid vacation. If they're not a staff worker or a full-timer, they don't get any paid vacation at all. So it's going to be a tough, tough move to make in America. It's just been embedded in us that we work five days a week and we work at least 40 hours a week, and that's just the way it is. So... Um, I wish I had better news. I wish I could say that a four-day work week is something that will be here sooner than it is, but I'm just telling you the truth as someone who has lived in what is generally the most progressive state in the United States for over 20 years now, and I have a pretty good idea of how the wheels turn in this state, and I do not think that they're going to turn as fast as you would like, at least on this topic. Next up is a question from Sifted from Zet Saber. If you had to leave California, where would you go? A great follow-up to the last question. And I'll be honest with you, this is something that I've had to start considering for a multitude of reasons. Um, Obviously, Sifted isn't going as well as I had hoped. You know, COVID has just crushed us. It really has. We went from a viable business to one that's holding on by his fingernails in 18 months. We have lost almost 40% of our subscribers and AKA revenue in the last like 18 months. So, um, I've had to think about what am I going to do? I'm not, I'm not able to pay my bills right now where I'm living. Um, I'm losing money every month. So to pay my bills and my rent, I'm taking money out of what I have saved up throughout my career to make ends meet. So this is something I've been considering in the last four or five months, like seriously considering, like, is it better for me to leave here, um, than to stay here? Now, the problem is that my wife has an amazing job here. And do I want to pull her away from her job for me or just for what's better for both of us? It's tough. It's a hard decision to make. So I have been thinking about it. And so if I did have to leave here, there's other things that tie into it too. Um, the political climate in the United States right now, I I really feel, and I hate to bring politics into this show, but 
I really feel like we're teetering on losing our democracy. I'm not exaggerating. That's not hyperbole. I really feel like we are about to lose our ability to pick our leaders. Like, it's right there. Um, and if that were to happen, and we, that may happen in November, like very soon. It, and if not then, it could definitely happen in 2024. And if I really feel like we're losing our democracy, then suddenly all these places are on the board. All these places that I visited. Um, I would consider moving to Europe, for sure. And I know some of you are going to say, it's worse here. It's not. <laughs> it's really not. It's easy to say that, sitting wherever you're living, um, and saying that you know your democracy is more is less stable there than it is here. I don't believe you. I really don't. So places that I visited that I loved, there's lots. I could live in Amsterdam. I could live in Barcelona. I could live in Paris. I could live in London. There are tons of places I could move, and I would be completely and perfectly happy. And I am lucky. I don't have kids in that regard. So we wouldn't be digging up their lives and taking them away from their friends to move somewhere else. So I'm fortunate in that way. As far as America, where else would I move? I would move probably back to Philly, Pennsylvania, D.C., somewhere around there to be closer to my mom. Obviously, my father, he passed away a while ago. Um, To be closer to my mom and to also be closer to all my nieces and nephews. It wasn't such a big deal living here for a long time because all my nieces and nephews were just babies basically and toddlers and little kids but now they're turning into little human beings who are starting to understand like Shane lives way far away like they could never understand that they're always like hey Shane shows up for Christmas and buys this stuff and plays with us for a couple weeks and then he just disappears but now they understand they're old enough to get it oh he lives in this in California which is oh my gosh so far away so there's a draw for me to be around um my family, my sisters and my brothers and all their kids, all my nieces and nephews, I feel like I'm missing out. So if I did have to leave California and I wanted to stay in the United States, it would be to be closer to all those people. So it would be somewhere in Pennsylvania, probably Philly, maybe Pittsburgh. I'd rather, even though I'm a big Pittsburgh fan for sports, I'd much rather live in Philadelphia. It's a much better, more exciting city. Now, I probably wouldn't live in the city. I would live out in the suburbs somewhere, but I would rather be closer to Philly because it actually is a big city. Pittsburgh calling Pittsburgh a big city is a stretch to me. So there, D.C., New York City maybe, not in New York City, like in the burbs, maybe across the bridge in Jersey or something like that, somewhere in the Northeast, where I could get to any of my family members within like a two-hour drive or so. But hopefully it doesn't come to that because I love California. I've always said I would never leave here unless I had to, but it's kind of getting to the point where I may have to. All right, here's a bonus question. For this episode of Ash Ain't Anything, we usually answer four questions. We're going for five because we're sending you guys off into the weekend and I'm feeling good today. So we're going to do an extra question. And this one comes from Sifted from Alex. What's your favorite show of all time? What's your favorite show currently? Oh, Alex. <laughs> Those are, again, a tough question. Um, so... There's a difference for me between what my favorite show is and what do I think is the best show of all time. Because my favorite show is probably Lost. I almost hate to admit it, but 
I was never really a big TV person. Like, I watched TV, but it was usually, like, growing up watching MTV all day. Because that's just kind of the way it was in the 80s and early 90s. Like, if you were a young person, you got home from work or school. And I know this may sound crazy to you, but you got home and you turned on MTV and you just left it on. It was just on. It was background noise. It was whatever. Um, That's the way it was for young people back in the 80s and the early 90s. MTV is what you watched. So I did watch TV growing up, but I never really got into TV shows all that much. And the first show that really got me hooked was Lost. And that was the first time I had ever been a participant in a TV show where you'd watch it every week. You come into work or school on Monday. You'd talk to everybody about it. You'd throw out your hypotheses about why you think something happened or what's going to happen next. Lost was great for that. Every episode, there was oh, there was always a cliffhanger. Uh, there was always stuff happening that was a complete mystery that made no sense in the context of the rest of the, in the rest of the show. To me, it was the first. It was kind of like the first binge-worthy show, even though you couldn't binge it and you had to wait a week for the show to come out. Now, I will agree, the way everything was wrapped up was supremely unsatisfying. And no matter how many times they try to explain, oh, it wasn't really purgatory, it was. And that was the first thing I thought when I started watching the show. All these people are in purgatory. They're in between living and dead. And ultimately, that's really what it ended up being. I know the showrunners try to say, no, that's not what it was. Yes, it was. They were in purgatory. So I was disappointed in how it was all wrapped up. And I did feel like it was pretty slimy about how they didn't even bother wrapping up some stuff. And they were just like, ah, whatever, we introduced this thing that got people all bent out of shape and we're not even going to resolve it. Still, I remember what it was like week after week when new episodes would air and coming in and being excited to talk about them. Now, I would argue that, as I just pointed out, it was not the best show ever in my life. It was my favorite, but it was definitely not the best. So now you're asking, what's my favorite show currently? And... Oh man, that's a tough one. I would say <laughs> I watched some weird stuff. <sighs> I would say Better Call Saul is up there. Um, there was just a very pivotal episode in that show this past week where there was a character that everybody was wondering what was going to happen to that character because that character did not appear in Breaking Bad, which comes after Better Call Saul. So people assume that this character died or something horrible happened. And they finally resolved that this past week. And I'll say I was a little disappointed in how they resolved it ultimately. But generally, Better Call Saul is just, it is amazing. It's very well written, very well shot, very well acted, paced, everything about it. Just amazing. So it's one of my favorites to be sure. But then I watch other goofy kind of shows. Like I watch this show called Gold Rush that's about gold mining in the Yukon. And I've watched that now for like 13 seasons. And I'm still pretty addicted to it but i'll admit this last season like i wasn't watching episodes as soon as they went up i was kind of lagging behind for the first time ever and i do think that show's been around for like 13 seasons so a lot of like my a lot like my vacations i like shows in a lot of ways where i learn something um i don't like or dislike reality shows i dislike certain kinds of reality shows like where people are just put in a house and they date and they screw each other and then they screw each other over I don't care about any of that crap. I did when I was very young, when MTV kind of debuted all that stuff with shows like Rock of Love and The Flavor of Love, the very first dating shows ever. 
I'll admit, like, I got into the first couple seasons of those, but then you start to realize it's just rinse and repeat over and over. So I don't like those types of reality shows, but reality shows where I learned something, like, I was into Deadliest Catch for a long time, which is that show where they go up again to Alaska and they fish for crab. Um, I got into that for the first, like, six seasons, but that started becoming repetitive. And then I kind of did the same thing with Gold Rush. So... My favorite show currently, I guess I would say Better Call Saul. It is on its final season, um, and so that's going to have to change here soon because there's, it's not going to exist anymore. Um, Breaking Bad, I think everybody at this point accepts or realizes how great that show was. So that was also one of my favorites. I also was a huge fan of Game of Thrones. And again, that's another show that didn't wrap up perfectly, but I also don't think that the ending was as bad as everybody makes it out to be. Um, I just think people were so supremely disappointed and how everything was wrapped up, and I think they were being a little irrational about it, and I think a lot of people, too, who never liked Game of Thrones in the first place, have used the ending of Game of Thrones to project their feelings on the show all along. There are some people that think the show was terrible all along, and the way it ended, now there's they've got some fuel on their fire that other people have thrown on the fire because the ending wasn't what everybody wanted. I just think they've taken advantage of that to try to say the show was trash. It was not trash. It was an amazing show that didn't wrap up perfectly, but I still feel like wrapped up okay. So those are some of my favorite shows. Um, again, that doesn't mean that they're the best shows, and I know there are probably some shows that you guys are watching. For instance, I just started watching The Boys. I'd never watched it before. Third season is when I finally started watching it. I don't know why. I had seen it on Amazon Prime a bunch of times. I'm into superhero movies, typically. I'm also into, like, gory movies and horror movies, and it's kind of a mix of all those things. I don't know why I didn't watch it. But I will say this. I did kind of binge all three seasons right in a row. And it's good, but it also, in the latter season, kind of started feeling like a soap opera. And I've talked about this before. There are certain tenets of soap operas that I really hate. Like a scene happens and then there's always that shot of the people who are a part of the scene just kind of staring off into space or like rubbing their chin. I hate that crap. And it's in every soap opera. That's how they design soap operas. And when I start seeing that in other shows, it starts to bother me. And that stuff is in the voice. It really got bad in like the third season, that's to me where it kind of jumped the shark, but I still enjoyed it. So I'm sure there are shows like that out there that I haven't experienced that have been great for a while and I just really missed it. Like Peaky Blinders, I have a lot of friends who say that show's really good on Netflix. I've only watched like two episodes, I couldn't get into it. So anyway, why don't you guys share some of your favorite shows, hopefully some of the obscure stuff that maybe I haven't been turned on to because as I said, Better Call Saul's about to end and I need to find a new favorite. <laughs> All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything. Thanks again to all of you guys who pledge at $7 or more per month. I really, really appreciate it. Every dollar makes a huge difference for us. So thank you from the very bottom of my heart. If you are pledging at that level, you get this show day and date, but everybody else does too. The trick is you're the ones who can ask questions, the ones who pledge at that higher tier. So again, thank you very much. Um, if you are pledging at the lower tier and you'd like to bump it up so you can ask questions, please head to patreon.com slash sifted and you can bump up your pledge there to the appropriate amount. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys soon.